Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and I'm back after a week off. And it figures that when I take a week off, it happens to be a week just full of some of the craziest news <laughs> in in gaming in a couple weeks. Uh, and, and so we had things like the, uh, Sony announced the PlayStation 1 Classic, which is going to be like the NES and Super Nintendo Classic. It has 20 games on it. We'll talk about that, what games we want to see on it, some of the missteps, I think, in their marketing and some of the things they did right. So we'll, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about Telltale Games. So they are the makers of The Walking Dead. Uh, the They do like those new school point and click adventure games. And uh, so they did that. They did Batman Enemy Within. They did Game of Thrones when they did Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, uh, Tales from the Borderlands, Minecraft Story Mode. Like these guys have made a ton of games uh, recently and they have uh, they're letting go 225 approximately of their 250 staff. So it's just a ton of people getting terminated from that company and essentially what's a full studio closure. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Rome Total War. Two, which is a PC game, it's um, it's a historically uh, uh, authentic, according to them, um, game. It's like it's like a war simulator. It's actually really good. It's a fun game. You can have like thousands of units on screen at a time, and you have like these large scale battles that are really strategic. Like you know, if you have one side flank another side, like it takes time to move your units, so it, it plays out like a real battle would play out. Very very nice. But over the last two days has been getting what we call review bombed. And if you've never heard of that, that's basically the term for uh, your game getting just trashed with a whole bunch of negative reviews uh, because they decided to start including random chances for female generals to start appearing in the game. And uh, there has been quite a backlash based on that, um, all based off of that. That's 100% where it's coming from. And then lastly, we have a, a, a kind of feel-good story. So, you know, I like to try to stay positive, and I like to do a, a little bit of feel-good when I can. Um, we had a, a story about a Smash Brothers fan who was a, a terminal uh, patient, um, felt like he was going to miss out on the new Smash Brothers game, and how Nintendo actually was able to uh, to uh, bring that experience to him. So, so, so some good and some bad and some wild like I said, I'm back. I went to, uh, I had a family wedding in uh, New Orleans or near New Orleans. I should say it was in uh, Bay St. Louis. And uh, so that that's a town right, like we literally stayed in a beach house right on the right on the Gulf. And it was absolutely beautiful. Like like that city is a little touristy, but it was like 10,000 people. But it was really awesome. I mean, our beach house was incredible. I wish I had stayed there like a whole week instead of just like an extended weekend. Uh, it was just incredible. Uh, and I tried to go to New Orleans <laughs> to, to, you know, like for a day or two just to like get there because it was only about an hour drive away. And I'm going to be honest, like that place is kind of a dump. <laughs> like I don't really want to go back to New Orleans. I think I'm like crossing that off my bucket list of places I wanted to go again. Like I really wanted to go to the French Quarter and like, you know, all this other stuff. And, and like I'll just share a quick story with you before I get to the game stuff. Um, my uncle was uh, walking with his daughter who was getting married and then so my cousin and her uh, husband now um, and a friend of theirs and they were like walking down the French Quarter and someone threw laundry detergent on their sh on his shoes now he had open toe sandals on and they threw laundry detergent on his shoes and then started demanding money for washing for cleaning his shoes like it was like this common like quote-unquote trick 
to get people just to pay up you know it's just really really stupid and then of course an altercation occurred and 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 they're just like no i'm not paying you for throwing detergent on my toes you know and just just weird stuff and then uh, a real quick story so jenny and i went to get breakfast at this place got great reviews called elizabeth's it's like 4.4 out of five stars on google with like 800 reviews so this place is like incredible and the food looks awesome we sit down it looks really good we order i go to wash my hands i come back and jenny's like i just saw the biggest cockroach i've ever seen scurry across the floor into the kitchen <laughs> like oh my god so then i'm like we're just too grossed out at that point you know i'm just like i don't want to eat somewhere where there's a cockroach like it was big too and i ended up seeing it like right before we left so we asked the waitress so quick i'm like well hey is our food ready yet because we're we're not like we, we gotta go you know and i wasn't gonna say anything i was gonna leave her a tip and then she's like oh it's, it's in the window right now and i was like well i mean i'd rather not pay for it you know and we kind of we kind of like explained like well we just saw like the biggest bug ever you know and 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 so i i left a tip and then um you know she was kind of like well the food's done like you ordered it and you know so it was kind of a thing um and just to avoid the awkwardness i know it sounds like like the the worst move ever i just paid for it i was like you know what i'm like if it's gonna cause a problem with you guys i'll just pay for it but like i'll never come back here you know and obviously i was from out of town so they i probably wouldn't ever anyway but it sucks you know so I'm, i haven't decided yet if i'm gonna hit up social media on that yet and like you know, just try to like reach out to them or just say something or, or leave a bad review. I don't know, like being a business owner, bad reviews are just like they cut so deep to me that I hate to do it to other people because you just feel like, you know, I don't know. I just, uh, I just, it just, it sucked. Um, because I know what it's like to have a small business, try to be successful. And then you have someone come in and have a bad experience. Like I probably should have talked to the manager and just been like, Hey, like just, you know, but I didn't, I didn't want the conflict. And like, I, I'm really anxious when I fly and we were flying out later that day. So like when I'm at high anxiety, like I don't like to get into conflict with people. I just want to be like, eh, just hands off, you know, and just, just whatever, just like, I don't want to deal with this crap, you know, basically. And, uh, and that's kind of what happens. So we're like, just pay, just pay for it and leave. Let's just leave. <laughs> and we did. And, uh, and the waitress was really nice, you know, it wasn't her fault. Um, thing was, thing was huge though. I mean, like I'm talking, if I'm being honest, I'm saying like three inches long, probably <laughs> like it was it, to me. I was like, I almost didn't believe it was a cockroach. I was like, this thing, <clears throat> this thing kind of looks like, a, like a, almost like a huge beetle that you'd see like in the mummy movies or something. But it, it was a cockroach, man. Um, although I read something later that said if, if cockroaches are that big, they're usually outdoor cockroaches that got inside and they like to be around moisture and water pipes. If it's the smaller cockroaches, those the ones like to be around grease and food and those are the ones that typically have thousands of friends with them so probably would have been okay and the food looked awesome like i was actually mad you know me and jenny were both mad that uh we couldn't enjoy it <clears throat> so uh anyway though to begin <laughs> let's talk about some game stuff huh so first the the main story i want to cover is the the telltale stuff. And this, this is such a, I, I wish I could say this is such a weird story or that this is such an uncommon story, but it's not, you know, this actually happens a lot in the game industry and it's really, really frustrating. And it, you know, it, 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 it ignited a new conversation again about should game developers unionize? Do we need to change the way game development is done? 
and the way these projects are, are brought about. You know, we, we talk about a lot of these things. So what I want to do first, I want to talk about the story and then we're just going to we're going to dive in because there is a lot here. Um, so let's start with it. So uh, the first story ended up being uh, I, I want to say The Verge broke the story here. And uh, the, the headline was The Walking Dead developer Telltale hit with devastating layoffs as part of a majority studio closure. And the article goes on to say Telltale Games creators of episodic adventure games like Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, and Batman Enemy Within laid off approximately 250 employees today as part of the company is calling a major, excuse me, a majority studio closure. According to multiple sources The Verge spoke with, employees were let go with no severance. We'll talk more about that later. Quote, this is a uh, quote. Today, Telltale Games made the most uh, made the difficult decision to begin a majority studio closure following a year marked by insurmountable challenges. A majority of the company's employees were dismissed early this morning. The company will retain a small team of 25. These remaining employees will stay on to, quote, fulfill the company's obligations to its board and partners. Uh, the article goes on to say the final season of Telltale's award-winning series, The Walking Dead, kicked off last month, and the second episode is expected to launch this actually today, I believe. Uh, staff were informed of the layoffs today. Now, this article was from September 21st. This is four days ago. Um, the <laughs> Staff were informed of the layoffs and were given roughly 30 minutes to leave the building. Telltale had previously announced a second season of Wolf Among Us, a game based off Netflix's wildly popular show Stranger Things. Uh, neither one of those obviously will come out now. The company has not yet commented on the status of these projects, though the outcome seems pretty dire. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the layoffs come a few months after revelations that Telltale was a studio mired in toxic management that included employees being subjected to constant overwork. We talked about that. Um, again, the article goes on to say uh, it worked on iconic brands like Game of Thrones and Minecraft, Telltale quickly spiraled. In June, co-founder and former CEO Kevin Bruner sued the company seeking recover, recovery of financial damages. So co-founder and former CEO suing the company for money, that's not good. Uh, Telltale described the suit as meritless and an apparent means of extracting revenge on a company already under financial strain. So I'm assuming he wasn't getting paid as an owner, and so he had to sue his own company to get money. That's always a good thing. Um, in a post on his personal site today entitled Telltale Closure, Bruner wrote that he is saddened for the people who are losing their jobs at a studio they love. And I'm also saddened at the loss of a studio that greenlit crazy ideas that no one else would even consider. This isn't the first time Telltale has been subject to layoff. Last November, the company laid off 90 employees, which was approximately 25% of its workforce. We talked about that last year. The realities of the environment we face moving forward demand we evolve as well, reorienting our, our organization with a focus on delivering fewer, better games with a smaller team, CEO Pete Hawley said at the time. It's been an incredibly difficult year for Telltales. We worked to set the company on a new course, Hawley said today. Unfortunately, we ran out of time trying to get there. We released some of our best content this year and received a tremendous amount of positive feedback. But ultimately, that did not translate to sales. With a heavy heart, we watch our friends leave today to spread our brand of storytelling across the games industry. So that was the uh, the Verge article, and and Kotaku cites them and, and kind of goes on. So uh, I want to talk a little bit of the history of Telltale here. Kotaku did a nice backup of that, which um, 
was here. Telltale Games was founded by former LucasArts employees in 2004. Its first game was Telltale Texas Hold'em, a poker simulation followed by narrative-based episodic games adapted from the CSI TV show. It wasn't until 2012, however, that the studio found its first major breakout release with The Walking Dead. It's actually the first game I ever platinumed. Because uh, it was, well, for one, you just had to beat the game to platinum it, but it was actually really good. I got all the way through it. The studio's choice-based branding narrative model was soon applied to other popular licenses like the Fables comic book series, Batman, and Game of Thrones. Um, so I want to open this up because I want to talk a little bit about this uh, th this this uh, toxic management. So this was uh, this was back in March, and I don't know if we covered this back then. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but uh, you know, so here they do a little bit of of history about how in 2012, you know, this little studio, the uh, won an award for the you know the walking dead game it was such a good game and it really was like walking dead season one is probably i don't know it's 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 up there for me like story-wise that was really good and i thought it was really fun and and you know the the problem i think with telltale's games is they didn't really evolve from that game even like they got new properties and they would apply their formula to the new properties and i think they were getting stale you know, but but when this came out, this was like mind blowingly awesome. And they had done other games before. Like I had played their Homestar Runner game, which <clears throat> was incredible. Like I'm a huge Homestar Runner fan, so playing that game was great. They did the Back to the Future game, <clears throat> which was like a sequel to the third movie, and uh, they did a Jurassic Park one, which I guess is terrible. I've never played it, and so on and so forth. Um, so so anyway though, um, all these people were on stage talking about how great, well, you know, we work with the most talented people on the planet. And that was when they were under 100 people. Um, small by mainstream studio standards where headcounts can range from hundreds to thousands and in an industry where storytelling often takes a backseat to fun gameplay. Um, so the win basically just is saying here that, you know, it, it, it established them as a successful developer that valued storytelling and character development above all else. Um, so... In November 2017, the company announced it was laying off 90 people, uh, and they promoted constant overwork, toxic management, and creative stagnation. The Verge spoke to more than a dozen current and former developers at Telltale for the story, many of whom requested being anonymous for fear of retribution from current and prospective employers. Although some of the problems were specific to Telltale and its management, many of the developers' troubles were emblematic of the unsustainable and erratic development practices that plagued the video game industry at large. So what they're saying here is it's not just necessarily Telltale, but this just kind of shows the whole industry has an issue with its workflow and with its, you know, with its uh, deadlines and such. Um, these conditions always hit one group the hardest, developers, or the people who actually make the games. Layoffs are a pervasive fact of life even at successful studios where developers are often hired in mass to help hit tight deadlines and then fired to cut costs after the game ships or is canceled. Uh, with the next deadline, the cycle begins anew. Overwork, job insecurity, and profound burnout are omnipresent concerns. More than three-quarters of developers report working under crunch conditions, which if you've never heard of crunch before, that's basically when a game like needs to ship, and sometimes working up to 20 hours a day and more than 100 hours in a week. These practices can have a significant and debilitating cost to employees, one that often feels baked into video game development culture, which I've heard everyone knows this. Like, this is everywhere. This is how it's done. Um, the story of Telltale, its rise, decline, and potential reformation is not just the story of the missteps of one studio. It's a shocking window into the $36 billion video game industry which is now so large and lucrative that it rivals the film industry. <laughs> and that's crazy to me how, how big video games have gotten. Um, I think, you know, and so here we go. Um, 
uh, I, licensed properties are a safer alternative, so they did Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, and Walking Dead. Um, and uh, Walking Dead, definitely their biggest uh, uh, success. So, um, a couple things here. Uh, one, uh, that, you know, that's that happened four days ago. And then there actually was a little bit of an update. Uh, I want to get to it here. Where is it here? So, then telltale let's see here so then telltale comes out yesterday with a statement saying they have potential buyers could finish or potential partners excuse me could finish the walking dead so the the article on kotaku reads as follows the demise of telltale has left the end of their flagship series the walking dead up in the air but a statement from what's left of the company tonight suggests there are a few options left on the table Here's the Telltale Games tweet. Hi, everyone. We have a Walking Dead update for you. Multiple potential partners have stepped forward to express interest in helping to see the final season through to completion. While we can't make any promises today, we are actively working towards a solution that will allow Episodes 3 and 4 to be completed and released in some form. In the meantime, Episode 2 will release tomorrow across all platforms as planned. We hope to have answers for your other questions soon. And so this is where I want to stop and actually go into this. So here's my issue first off. A lot of people bought the the Walking Dead final season season pass. So what that means is they paid for all four episodes of that game. They will only be guaranteed two episodes. And right now we're not sure what's going to happen with three and four. So they could potentially have paid for a game that they don't get to have. Terrible. I mean, that's terrible. Um, what, what sucks is it pushes the narrative about how you shouldn't pre-order games. Now, when it comes to digital games, I kind of agree with that. I guess there's not really a benefit to you to pre-order it before getting like the day before so you can preload it you know um physical games i do still believe that there's a reason to pre-order those because that's a way that companies gauge interest in a title if pre-orders are super low they won't restock stores as much and then if the game takes off they won't have enough copies in stock amazon was short on spider-man because they had stopped pre-ordering it for a long time when they had the amazon prime discount so there was a lot of stuff going on there and so Pre-ordering, though, for digital, um, more than like a couple days ahead of time, unfortunately, with something like this, seems quite foolish. And so they come out and they say, well, we're working with potential partners to finish the game. And of course, like anything, this, this, this kind of causes an uproar because you've got the Game Workers Unite. This is a pro game, pro video game union uh, uh, company. Uh, conglomerate I don't even know what you'd call it um, but this is their response to it this is disgusting pay your 250 plus employees severance first and the reason they say that is because telltale employees left stunned by company closure with no severance so not only were they told the morning of they were given 30 minutes to exit the building they were told they were getting zero severance and finally they were told that their health insurance would run out at the end of the month Yes, the end of September, which is a few days away. It's unbelievable um, because if you knew you were getting to this point, how did you not brace for impact, right? How did you not know this was coming? To, to be this sunk, this takes a long time to get this sunk, you know? I mean, especially when you have games that are selling well and you have new games on the horizon, you're announcing new games, you know? And I don't, I don't know if it was an issue with them paying too much for these IPs and the games weren't selling well enough. So like they were selling well, but not well enough to pay for the IPs. You know, I don't know. I mean, here's, here's a story that Kotaku, an, an employee 
a source told Kotaku, had been working until 3 a.m. the night before they announced the studio closing. Like, so part of that really bothers me. I mean, this all bothers me, but that specifically bothers me because how how does someone like let to keep working on something like that knowing he's going to get released like how does your supervisor maybe he didn't know of course but how does how do they do that they letting people run and crunch getting burned out like crazy just be, they they knew this was coming weeks to months before and they just let him keep on crunching keep on crunching get that episode 2 out get some last minute sales for us shareholders and stuff because clearly it wasn't. They weren't gonna give the employees anything. They weren't gonna get any severance or anything. It's crazy. Um, so the suddenness of the meeting at the company's California headquarters was described by to Kotaku by a former employee who was there, but wanted to remain, remain anonymous as they pursue looking for work elsewhere. The timing was just one of the meeting's unwelcome surprises. The head of human resources dropped another bombshell to the audible shock of Telltale employees. There would be no severance. Those laid off were encouraged to begin applying for unemployment as soon as possible and were told their health benefits would run out at the end of the month at the time of this story, which was just nine days later. According to a source and to social media postings by ex-devs, they had 30 minutes to leave the building. Now, I know that sounds like really harsh too, but that is a thing in the tech industry. That's so you can't steal things. It's so you can't steal code. It's so you can't steal equipment. It happens all the time. So that, as appalling as that is too, it's it's kind of a regular. So, you know, it's it's a regular thing. Don't Don't get too hung up on that. The lack of severance, a detail that began circulating on Twitter shortly after the shutdown, was one of the bitterest details in the game studio collapse that has sparked outrage and sympathy among those who play and make the games. Telltale had been around more than a decade and was in the midst of rolling out a new episode of its signature series about The Walking Dead, episode 2 of a supposed 4 planned for release tomorrow. The rationale for failing to pay out severance provided by Hawley, according to a Kotaku source, was that this was a business closure rather than partial layoffs, like the 25% downsizing that hit the studio last November. Uh, because there is a California law that requires employees provide 60-day notice for mass layoffs. I think they meant employers. Provide 60-day notice for mass layoffs, but allows some exceptions that could be that could be applied to Telltale. There wasn't much consolation, however, to the people who had been working long days leading up to Friday. Oh, yeah, and they let everybody go on Friday, you know. I guess they did it Friday morning instead of Friday night. Um, while the company knew the company's future was in question, they never suspected the end was so close at hand. By the time they got back to their desk, their work Google accounts had already been disabled. Uh, again, that's the security side of it. It happens. Quote, none of my sleepless nights or long hours on weekends trying to ship a game on time got me severance today, tweeted now former Telltale character artist Brandon Sabenka in the hours following the meeting. Quote, don't work overtime unless you're paid for it, y'all. Protect your health. Companies don't care about you. End quote. Another ex-employee said that they'd wish they had taken more vacation time while they still had a job. All I want right now is to rest for a couple of days, they tweeted. But since we got no severance and our insurance expires at the end of the month, I don't have that luxury. Neither employee provided further comment. Uh, Emily Grace Buck, a lead designer on several Telltale games, including its most recent one, The Walking Dead Final Season, spoke publicly about how long hours were customary at Telltale. Quote, it's true we usually worked 50 plus hour weeks, sometimes 70 to 80. Weekends were often expected, she wrote. We were constantly understaffed. Deadlines were ludicrously tight. Our schedules were so close we went from one crunch directly into another. So normally when we talk about crunch, you talk about that a game's about to ship. So yes, I think everyone who works there wants to be proud of their product. So they start crunching and crunching. They Boom, they get the game out. They can relax. 
oh, well, too bad. Unfortunately, this game is now in crunch. So you have to shift over to that game. And now you're working crunch on another game. And so now you just, you could be cycled in a perpetual state of crunch development, which is this 80 to 100 hour, 70 to 80 to 100 hour weeks. And then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, on a Friday morning, you're fired and you don't even have a week to get health benefits. And uh, yeah, you know, good luck is basically what they said, you know. Um, they go on to say episode two of the final season was originally slated to release this week on September 25th. And Kotaku had already received a code for it. So it is finished. Um, Telltale, is not confirmed that the game, uh, Telltale has not confirmed that the game will still come out on the same schedule, even though they have said that now. But it seems likely, according to the source reached by Kotaku, Melissa Hutchinson, voice actor for Walking Dead Heroine Clementine, wrote in a statement, quote, To my knowledge, they will release episode two, and that will be it. She also gave her condolences to everyone at Telltale, writing, I have met and made some of the very best friends I will have in this life, and that is priceless. Um, so... Uh, Emily Buck went on to say, I'm in a weird place as a lead episode designer because I want to play it. At the same time, she pointed out that companies don't make games. The people who work on them do. And now the team who made episode two won't be around to benefit from any success it might find. The team did awesome work, pushed boundaries, and I want you to see it. Send us off on a high note, but I'm not going to tell you to buy it. <laughs> so, so you know, she's um, she's trying to, she wants you to experience their hard work, but she, without a clean conscience, can't recommend buying it. Uh, the dis disconnect between the commitment of Telltale employees to the studio's grueling project deadlines and the sudden way in which the studio severed that relationship has inspired a renewed debate within the video game industry and gaming community about crunch, workers' rights, and unionization. Game Workers Unite, that's who I was uh, talking about the tweet. Uh, we talked about what they said. Um, they seek to unionize the video game industry. They put out a scathing letter on Saturday in response to the circumstances by which Telltale's employees were let go. Uh, quote, the executives at Telltale were incompetent. They were exploitive. They knew that this was coming and failed to warn anybody, the letter alleges. Unionization can't fix Telltale after the fact, but it could have prevented so much of the damage to countless workers' lives by ensuring benefits like severance pay and health care that last from job to job. According to Buck, at least one employee had joined Telltale only one week before the closure and had relocated across the country to do so. Another was a foreign national in the country on a work visa who must now leave within a few days. While none of these laid off are being given severance, contract workers, now here's another kicker, contract workers who weren't full-time won't even be able to collect unemployment because they weren't full-time employees, they were contracted. Which, if you kind of remember at the end of Kojima leaving Konami, they shifted him from a salaried uh, employee to a contract employee so it would be easier for him to get fired and then not have to pay him any benefits. Ridiculous. Um, during the Friday meeting at which the company's closure was announced, Holly blamed, this is the, the head of the company, blamed the studio's fate in part on the recent seasons of The Walking Dead not meeting sales expectations. According to the anonymous source present who spoke to Kotaku, Holly echoed this sentiment in his public remarks later in the day, in which he said that though the studio had released some of its best games in 2018, they had not translated into adequate revenue. Following the financial and critical success of The Walking Dead Season 1 in 2012, Telltale had grown and begun working on an increasing number of licensed games, including The Wolf Among Us, uh, Game of Thrones, and Batman. This increased workload under the leadership of studio co-founder Kevin Bruner led to increasingly difficult work conditions, which The, the Verb reported on at length earlier this year, which I read to you guys earlier. Um, teams would work overtime to meet development milestones, something Buck also corroborated in her tweets. Only for their work to be derided in review meetings when Bruner would go on to require heavy reworks without adequately revising the development schedule to provide more time. 
Holly, formerly at Zynga, replaced Bruner in September of 2017. One of the first major, one of his first major acts was a restructuring period that month, which resulted in 90 employees being let go in November. At the same time, morale among the development teams apparently improved. A source told Kotaku that following Bruner's departure, projects stayed on track more frequently and shipped in a form that more closely resembled what had been decided and agreed upon during the initial planning stages. In a statement released last Friday, Bruner said he was saddened by the loss of people's jobs in the studio he helped create. He also touted his own leadership. Prior to my leaving, we were able to avoid sweeping layoffs and somehow managed to ensure that we always had work for everyone. We worked hard. and So this is the guy basically that sued the company, saying this is the guy that left and got forced out, essentially. Um, Bruner is currently selling, uh, suing Telltale for what he claims was its interference in the sale of his holdings in the company after being forced out. They probably wouldn't let him sell his stock, and he wanted to get money because he knew it was tanking. Um, in addition to the feelings of frustration and regret, in some cases, stories of exploitation that employees have posted online or shared in conversations with Kotaku, there have been a tremendous outpouring of support on social media and the news. Um, hashtag Telltale Jobs and Telltale Memories. Uh, so, yes, and, and I agree with that. Like, social media was really big to come up. Uh, there were some great... Uh, uh, I know Josh from Limited Run Games had tweeted out that they're looking for some help. So anybody who was interested, um, I know Corey um, Barlog um, was uh, was saying, "Hey, you know, good luck to everybody." And and there were there were many game companies saying, "Hey, we're looking for help." So like they 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 extended the the branch, and uh, so you know I guess I, I touched on this earlier, and I wanted to go a little bit more into it. I touched on this earlier, but. Um, one thing I think is that Telltale got very stale, and I think that was really bad. Like they they needed something to refresh. They needed something to um, to to kind of jolt them creatively, and and they just seemed to be stuck in their ways. They thought that they could make the same game with different properties and be successful forever. And I think that was their downfall ultimately, um, especially from a creative standpoint. Uh, when it comes from obviously, you can't sustain a work environment like that and you lose very very talented people and that's exactly what happened here is people you know they're only so dedicated and, and they'll fight hard and they fight for you as long as they can and then after a while they get so burned out that they're done and once you burn them out there's like no coming back from that and so um I, you know it's really really unfortunate i i think this was probably known when they let the comp when they let the people go whoops when they let the people go um last year uh, last year the 90 people and they were trying to salvage it, and I understand what that's like, uh, and they had obligations probably to finish these certain games, but nothing like this should ever be that big of a surprise, and I think when you're you're either hiding it from the shareholders, you're hiding it from investors, and clearly you're hiding it from your staff to keep morale up to try to push these games out. Like, I don't know if they thought maybe if they, Walking Dead, the final season, somehow struck gold and it like sold a million copies day one that they'd be on the right track again and maybe that's what they were hoping for and then the game sizzled because you know you had season one you had season two and i think there was another one in there the something frontier and then now you have a final season so like you know it was it was played it was played out and um we need to move on from that and unfortunately that doesn't seem to be you know something that uh, that they were able to do, uh, and and they they definitely made some really interesting games. I heard Batman was really good. I've heard nothing good, uh, nothing nothing bad about Wolf Among Us. Heard that's incredible too. Heard Guardians of the Galaxy is really good, but this also I think part of it was this, the, their their delivery method, this episodic content. You know that was definitely what was hurting um, their crunch time because you always had some game that was at some stage of some episode. So it wasn't like you were doing a, a yearly or or every other year sort of you know, whatever it was, 
you know, th th this was something that you, you constantly had that crunch going on and it didn't work out clearly. And they were clinging on for dear life and they waited too long and it hurt their employees really badly. And that really sucks. So, um, you know, good luck to everybody there. I really hope that they can somehow find the way. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope that they can all find good work. Um, the only thing I could say I'm really disappointed in as far as the community goes is that and I understand frustration if you've paid for this game in advance and you either want them to finish the game or you want a refund. I mean, that's, that's pretty basic stuff. Uh, however, um, if that's the first thing you think about in this situation, you might want to like, just, just think about it a little bit more, you know, reevaluate your priorities maybe a little bit because the first thought when you hear about 250 people losing their job shouldn't be, well, is my game coming out still? You know, and I understand that, you know, especially if you paid for it, like that's definitely a valid concern, not taking anything away from that. But like think about the people who lost their jobs. Like the person who relocated across the country living in a very expensive city is even going to get one paycheck. If he's only, if he or she's only been there a year or excuse me, a week, they might not even get one paycheck for all that work they did. So, you know, it, it may not get anything. And, uh, and that, that's just unbelievable, but it's really sad, especially a company that, you know, was super small, found success and blew up and then somehow couldn't maintain that success. I think that's, you know, a sad story that happens a lot. And, um, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate and it's, it, it won't, it wasn't the first time and I don't think it'll be the last time. So next then I want to talk a little bit about, let's see here. Let me, let me close all these <laughs> telltale ones because this was, this was, uh, that was a lot of stuff to go over. Um, so next up we're going to be talking about the PlayStation one classic. So again, another thing that was announced when I was on vacation, <laughs> because why not? And this is something that's near and dear to me, actually. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite interested by this. Uh, it also was announced at the Tokyo game show. So it was like 3 AM our time. And then everyone started doing pre-orders on it. Uh, you can still pre-order it. It's fine. There's plenty of pre-order quantities. In fact, I think they're doing the pre-orders now so that they have enough time to get the numbers, to know how many to ship and to manufacture. So, you know, the proper way to do a pre-order. So Nintendo, if you're paying attention, um, this is how you would do it. Um, but here was the, the release on the PlayStation blog, introducing PlayStation classic with 20 preloaded games. Uh, so, I mean, here it is. It, it's the exact same system. It is, uh, a, a, of, um, you know, the Nintendo and Super Nintendo classic are, this is a mini PlayStation one. It fits in the palm of your hand. Um, we have, uh, the box is reminiscent of the launch model PS ones which is incredible. It comes with two controllers. Um, here you go, the original analog, uh, non-analog controllers. It comes with an HDMI cable, the console, obviously, an original, the booklet that looks like the original manual, which is just a nice touch, but uh, certainly not original by any stretch. Uh, and then it comes with this little charge cable here, um, notably missing the AC adapter. So it technically comes with the cable you need to charge. Whoops. It comes with the cable you need to charge it with, but not the actual little USB box you plug in. Like, what was that cost? Two dollars? I, I don't. I don't understand why that's not included. No problem. Let's move on because we'll we'll complain about that later. Um, so they have announced so far that uh, the games that have been announced of the twenty, they've only announced five games. So they have Final Fantasy VII is what they're leading with. So you know, awesome. Jumping Flash, Ridge Racer Type Four. Tekken 3 and Wild Arms. This is a good start. I'm, in fact, quite impressed by this start. Um, Final Fantasy 7, obviously, if you're going to make a PlayStation 1, that game is iconic. 
Jumping Flash was a, I believe that was a launch title. I played that very early on. It was really good. Ridge Racer Type 4 is a little weird to me because, uh, I don't know. It just seems like it's one of the later ones. And it also came out after, I think, they had the analog sticks. So I don't know why that version of Ridge Racer, like, I guess I'm happy that they didn't just put on all of the original, like, launch PS1 games, like Tekken 1 and Ridge Racer and, um, you know, Air Combat and, like, just go generic with it. I'm glad they didn't do that because that would have been, that would have been really weak. Um, but, uh, Ridge Racer 4, I'm confused by that. Tekken 3 is fantastic because Tekken 3 is the best Tekken game on PS1 and it's a fantastic game in general. And Wild Arms actually is a, is a hidden gem. It's one of my favorite uh, PS1 RPGs, actually. I love that game. Um, so let, let's talk about the good first. <laughs> Stay positive. So first I want to say, I love it. I love the design and I, I love these, home home consoles these minis i think they're great especially when they're officially licensed i don't like the sega ones that are uh made by at games and they're super cheap and crappy i don't like the atari flashbacks and i really don't like the c64 mini the commodore 64 mini which is still my least liked video i've ever made uh people just bash the hell out of me for for talking trash about that when i don't think the product necessarily is bad as much as it is that they made that product with money who paid with people who paid for another product so it's it's frustrating um, so love it though. Love this box. Absolutely love this box. Um, it screams memories to me. Uh, the PS one was the first system I bought with my own money. So like when I was a kid, we had an NES and a Genesis, but those were like, we worked a little bit of, and my mom bought it for us, but we, we, you know, we kicked in some money. We sold our original Nintendo to a neighbor to get money to buy a Genesis, you know, and you know, but the PS one was my system and my older brother had just moved out. So it was me and my younger brother. I was, you know, I was the, no one could tell me what to play. No one could kick me off the system. It was mine. And, uh, obviously, you know, I, I make the argument oftentimes that the last time gaming really turned a corner was with the PS one. Um, and, and, you know, subsequently with the N64, but with the PS one in the sense of, you know, today we're playing games the same way we were playing back then. Obviously the graphics are better. Instead of playing music CDs, it plays Blu-rays, but the ideas are all the same, you know, with the exception of adding in the social media integration, stuff like that. But I feel like the PS one turned this corner of, it was not just a game device. It was a home media thing. You know, if you turn the system on and I know Sega CD did this before too, but if you turn the system on without a disc inside, there was like a menu and then you had memory cards that you could adapt. Like it was, it was different. It felt different. It was, it was ushering in a new era. And I feel like everything since then has still been pretty much the same, you know? And then maybe you could argue that the Wii brought in like the motion controls, but I don't ever, I, that, as much as that hit mainstream, I don't feel like that hit the core gamer. Like for core gamers, I think this was the last major shift gaming had with the move to 3d and the media and the being on discs instead of carts and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, it's going to launch December 3rd for 99 99. So that's probably the first thing I have to complain about is the price. Uh, I don't like it. I'm sad to say, I think the price is $20 too high, especially since it doesn't include an AC adapter, but when you're essentially going head to head with the super Nintendo classic, I mean, that's essentially who this, this was marketed after you're including two controllers, 20 games. The, the super Nintendo classic is 21 games. Like it should be the same price. Now, I don't know the manufacturing costs, so maybe they couldn't do it for that price. But and maybe to secure the licenses for the games they wanted to, they had to pay extra, and there was they had to make it ninety nine ninety nine. Anything under hundred dollars usually will sell. It'll be it'll probably be a pretty popular Christmas item. But Sony won't do artificial shortages like Nintendo does with their hardware, so you won't see as much of a like craze 
for this um, because I think they'll fully stock it. Uh, but I think it'll sell. I think it'll sell pretty well, too. Obviously, we're waiting to hear what the rest of the games are, though. Um, so first of all, I don't necessarily like the price. I think $79.99 would have really hit that sweet spot because that's essentially the precedent that Nintendo set. Um, I would have liked to see that, but okay. Love the box. Talked about that. It comes with two controllers. I like that. I'm not a fan, though, of the original non-analog stick controllers. I shouldn't say that. I love the controllers. The controllers are incredible. But in this era of analog sticks and some of these games you're going to want analog sticks for like Ridge Racer, um, not Tekken three or wild arms. I guess these other ones don't really matter. Um, but I'm surprised, you know, it would have been nice to include that. You didn't have to necessarily even have the dual shocks with the rumbles, just make the analog stick version ones. I don't know, but I understand that this is iconic. When people think of the original PlayStation, this is what they're thinking of. So it's okay. You know, I, I, it makes sense, like from a marketing standpoint, it just to me doesn't make sense from a practical standpoint in, in, in playing games. Um, it's HDMI out comes HDMI cable like I already complained about it, but no USB AC adapter makes no sense to me. I can buy those in bulk, which I do uh, for different devices that need charging around the store. Uh, you get them for like a buck a piece from China. So I don't know why they couldn't include it in the box. Um, that's really weird and stupid to me. Um, at least they included the cable, I guess. Um, but that's kind of a Japanese thing too. If you don't know, like, um, their Famicom mini didn't come with an AC adapter. You had to buy that separate. I don't, I don't know. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. They all, they also were doing that for a long time with their three DSs and two DSs, but that was because it was using the same AC adapter. Uh, so they, I think they were assuming people already had an AC adapter for it, but again, weird. Um, so here's what it looks like in comparison size wise. Let's see what this looks like in a bigger picture. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, this is the original one, if you don't remember the original PlayStation had just standard AV ports in the back, you didn't have a proprietary PlayStation port in the back. Uh, this model of PlayStation one actually sucks real bad. <laughs> this is the one that had a lot of issues. So don't ever buy one of these, <laughs> just get the ones with the, get the ones with uh, the standard PlayStation out port and then get the ones, the newer models won't have a trap door here, but the old models had a trap door here where you could, uh, it was like a, it was an extension port and that's where you used like your game sharks and stuff. It was really cool. Not that's what it was designed for, but that's what it was. So, um, that is the PlayStation one classic. I mean, here, here it is. Uh, I think final thoughts on it, um, before I move to the games I'd like to see on it is just that, uh, I think it's cool. Um, you know, you see a lot of PlayStation fans are over the moon for it. A lot of Nintendo fans are upset because I feel like all Sony does is copy them. Um, but it's kind of what happens when you're an innovator. You know, Nintendo has uh, always been really innovative with stuff like that. Uh, but you could argue that Nintendo copied the Atari flashback when they made their system. I mean, it's who cares? You know, I mean, it, 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 if we get cool products based off of it, I mean, competition is good for that reason. That's why you want strong competition between your console manufacturers, because they're going to provide you with better products and better prices when you have good competition. So if Nintendo, you know, if Nintendo's classic sales are the reason this exists, I love it. I mean, I have, you can't see them here, but like behind the camera. So I'm looking into my closet. I have the Famicom Mini, the Super Famicom Mini, the NES Classic, the Super Nintendo Classic, and then I also have the Famicom Shonen Jump Edition that they did, which is like the gold Famicom, because it's cool. I, I love collecting this stuff, especially because it's officially licensed. And I don't necessarily think they're going to be worth any more money later someday. I just think they're cool. And and, and so this thing's right up my alley. I'll buy this uh, in a heartbeat. It also sparked the rumors that people were going to then consider buying you know, or Nintendo then would want to push out the N64 classic. Now we won't see that this year. Like there's just no way to announce it and push it out and market it 
properly in enough time. It's already almost October. So to do that before the holiday season would be mental. However, they could be working on it to drop the bomb sometime in the summer, next summer. I don't know. I also think an N64 classic is less likely than something like a Game Boy classic, which would be like a device you could still HDMI to your TV and hold in your hand and play, but that you could also have like an LCD screen on it and play on there. You could sell that for a hundred bucks. I know you could get an LCD screen cheap enough to do that. I mean, they make the two DSs are cheap enough to do that. So imagine making like a two DS, essentially a two DS screen with one screen. And then it's got, you know, backlit preloaded with 20 or 30 Game Boy games. Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's it. Uh, and then, so lastly then, uh, so I think it's cool, you know, and if you don't want to buy it, then don't, I guess, um, it's made officially made by Sony. I love it. I love the look of it. It, it, inst- it, it, uh, it, it pulls out nostalgic feelings from me. And so I'm very excited to, to buy it. Um, I think it's cool. Uh, what I'm really excited to see, hopefully not, is if they release another version with analog sticks later and more games. Cause that's something that Nintendo hasn't committed to. Nintendo hasn't committed to releasing the NES classic two with 30 different games on it. <laughs> so we'll see maybe making it look like the top loader instead of the classic NES. I mean, there's, they haven't done that. I could see Sony doing that though. <laughs> and releasing the PlayStation, you know, classic and then the PlayStation classic volume two, which has 20 other games on it. And then you have to buy another system. I could see that. So, uh, when thinking about PS1 games, I have an incredible shelf of PS1. I know you can't see it. Um, sadly, I, when I shifted my room around, they're like here. And uh, I have about 150 to 200 PS1 games. Uh, and, and like they're good. They're all good ones. It's not like filler garbage. Like There's a couple of filler garbage, but it's mostly good for the most part. So what I did was uh, I decided to look up the top 100 PS1 games on Google. So this is clearly wrong because one is not the number one (laughs) PS1 game, but it's because of the names, obviously. So I'm using this as a guide for games that I would think should possibly be on the system. So we already know Final Fantasy VII is on here. Right here, Metal Gear Solid, this needs to be on there. Uh, So I know that they can work with Konami on it. They've worked with Konami in the past. Uh, This is available on the PlayStation Store digitally. So I would assume that those contracts are already in place and all they have to do is extend it to this portable device. Metal Gear Solid, I would be very surprised if this is not on there. Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid, Tekken 3, we know is on there. Final Fantasy VIII on the list, that one most likely will not. Well, I shouldn't say that. It could be. But why would you put eight on here if you have seven on here? You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense from Squaresoft's point, Square Enix's standpoint, um, mostly because eight is often, um, you know, less enjoyed than seven uh, by a lot of people even though eight's a perfectly fine rpg and a very good game xenogears excellent rpg by square enix uh yeah i could see that being on there i don't see why not but we're also starting to get really rpg heavy and you know that that's not what they want to do they don't just want to make an rpg machine uh soul reaver i do not think we'll see this on there but that'd be cool soul reaver is an incredible game if you've never played it, you have to play it vagrant story falls in the same trap it's another square enix squaresoft rpg and you know, same with Chrono Cross, like these, you have so many Squaresoft RPGs here that, you know, which ones do you pick to put on there? And if you already have Final Fantasy VII, do you really want to add any more? Um, and so you got Chrono Cross, Final Fantasy IX, same story. Gran Turismo 2. Gran Turismo 1 or 2 will absolutely be on there. These are Sony published games. Uh, Gran Turismo 2 would be the most likely, but they might put the first one on just because it's the first one. Uh, we will definitely see that. Castlevania Symphony of the Night. This game should be on there but i don't think it's going to be i guess it could be the reason i say that is because they're they've recently esrb has rated a two-pack with symphony of the night and rondo of blood 
So that's awesome. Except with that being kind of remade and sold on the PS4, I don't know if they would also include it on a classic if that might hinder their sales of that digital game. So we'd have to see. I really hope they make that deal work. Again, it's available on the PlayStation Store, so it's not a stretch, I don't think, by any means. Would love to see that game on there, though. Like, like, and look at this just as a fun thing. So this has the release dates in here. Look at 97. Final Fantasy VII, Tekken 3, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. <laughs> like, what the hell was going on in that year? Like, how did you? How did anyone pick Game of the Year that year? I mean, that's just unreal. Um, Symphony of the Night, Final Fantasy VII in the same year. Like, what plan are we on? Um, so then they go to like Crash Team Racing, which is totally, totally possible. This was published by Sony as well. The problem, though, is that the Crash license isn't owned by Sony or Naughty Dog. So that would be something they'd have to work out a deal with, uh, with Activision on that. And I don't, I don't know if they could. They might. Again, it's available on the PlayStation Store for your PS3 and your Vita. Sukaden 2. Uh, great game. Uh, I love Sukaden. Um, but I love the first one more. And the second one's a rare game, but again, it's available on the store, so it's possible. Uh, it's Konami. Konami clearly has a relationship with Sony. They can make this work. Parappa the Rapper. Uh, this will definitely be on there. Uh, I'd be very, very surprised if this game does not make that list. Uh, R4, that's already on the list. Again, Crash, kind of same situation. Resident Evil 2, very interesting because Resident Evil 2, I think, will make it because of the remake. And they want to drive up sales and they want to like get ready for that especially since it comes out about a month or two before so that'd be i'd be very surprised if resident evil 2 is not on there especially resident evil 2 um which also look at this metal gear solid resident evil 2 in the same year 98 you had crash and you also had uh xeno gears in 98 i mean man it was there were some there were some wild years back then um so legend of dragoon again another game that is published by sony i'm surprised it hasn't been remade and re-released for ps4 yet uh, that will, de- I, this will definitely be on there again. I can't say for sure, but this, I don't know how you don't put it on there. Um, Tony Hawk, eh, I could see it. Um, you know, they got to play nice. Final Fantasy Tactics falls into the same trap as the other square soft games at the time. Street Fighter Alpha three, probably not, but I could see them doing a Street Fighter game for it. Um, because Capcom has no problem like selling its soul off. Tomba, another interesting game here. So another, uh, another Sony published game. So Tomba, awesome game, uh, really good platformer, especially the first one. Um, now this is really far-fetched, I believe, but Alundra, uh, I would love to see it. It's an incredible action RPG. It's like the PlayStation's version of Legend of Zelda. It's super good. Um, and, and it was the height of 32-bit 2D sprites. So you want to, you want to, you want a clinic on how sprite, how good sprites could look in the 32-bit era. It's Symphony of the Night. It's Alundra top-notch stuff um and again you know brave fencer this is another one that's you know you know maybe no they probably couldn't do that. i was gonna say maybe they could get like x-men versus street fighter or marvel versus capcom but those playstation versus those are actually kind of suck so you don't really want those anyway um legend of la gaia i could see that being on there as well that's another uh sony published uh rpg uh i could see soul blade making it you know namco has no problem especially with the new soul caliber coming out like a lot of these games you have to remember they want to do co-marketing stuff uh star ocean 2 is awesome but i don't think that'll be on there um smackdown games wouldn't just too hard to get the licensing of old likeness of wrestlers and stuff like that um the, uh, spiral games kind of fall in the same trap as crash you know and they have remasters already coming out so I, it's kind of like why would you put the old ones on there but they could uh wipeout i think we'll see a version of wipeout on there that that's kind of one of the staples of the playstation one origins i think we'll see that I'd be very surprised if we don't see a Wipeout game on there. Uh, Intelligent Cube. This will absolutely not be on there, but this game's awesome. If you've never played it, play it. It's really good. Um, 
you know, driver, driver two, I would love to see driver on there. That'd be cool. I don't think we will. Klonoa would be really cool. The persona games most likely will not come out in there. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of like this, like I said, this is just a really cheap, crappy, like, you know, top 100 on Google list. But I wanted to go through that because I think there's some legitimate games that could be on there. And the ones we said would probably be on there, put us at about 20 games. So, um, so yeah, so keep, keep an eye on that. I'm very curious when they're going to announce the rest of the games. Uh, I have no idea when that's going to be, uh, hopefully it's soon because I just want to know what's on there. Uh, but like I said, if, and I know they can't, um, well, I shouldn't say that you might be able to do an upgrade through USB, but obviously the hackers will have this thing modded and depending on how much storage space is on the PlayStation one, um, it could get really cool with being able to add whatever games you want, just like the NES and Super Nintendo classic. All right. And then, oh my goodness, this is, I got two stories I want to talk about here still. Um, we are, we are going long today, folks. I hope you're buckled in. Um, so then the next, let me, let me bring this up here. So the next story I want to talk about then on the podcast today was going to be the steam review bomb of total war Rome two or is it rome total war two I, I don't i always thought it was rome total war maybe they changed the name when it became total war rome two um so this this is weird one so this this literally just happened yesterday so um it has suffered i'm gonna read the article here um this is on Eurogamer uh by uh, wesley yinpool total war rome two has suffered a steam review bombing run over women characters in a recent update but it turns out the game is working as intended creative assembly that's the the studio that makes the game their PC strategy game, which came out in 2013, saw hundreds of new negative Steam reviews this week. So it came out five years ago. Uh, it's hundreds of new negative Steam reviews this week over the frequency with which women generals show up in the game and related claims about historical accuracy. The update that added women to the game came out about six months ago on March 20th, but the recent complaints appear to have stemmed from the emergence of an image below which shows a raft of female generals in one person's game. A cropped version of this image was then used by some to claim the March patch forces players to use female generals in every faction of the game. So there's some misinformation here, but basically it happened in March. There was no hubbub about it. it seemed like it just went under the radar. And then a screenshot where someone somehow randomly got five, um, which later we'll talk about the odds of that happening very, very low. So it happened, and then apparently they screenshotted this, and it tried to spread it as, this game is forcing you to play as female generals. Um, so, now, this was a repl- uh, this was the reply um, from C.A. Ella. So, uh, that's from Creative Assembly, so Ella. And it says the tag is developer. Now, that just might mean that it's someone who's allowed to talk on behalf of the developers. So, this is what they said. Um, firstly, I'll say it again. Total War games are historically authentic, not historically accurate. If having female units upsets you that much, you can either mod them out or just not play. People saying they won't buy the game because there are too many women in it is fine with us. If that's their reason, we'd rather they didn't anyway. Uh, reasonable civil discussions don't get locked. Discussions spiral into personal attacks and prominently feature words like, well, yeah cuck sjw and feminazi and any directions are locked for a reason just be nice to each other guys that's all so that that was their response now that seems to be that was august 13th so that was even a month ago so 
I, you know, I don't know what's caused it recently, but again, it somehow must have somehow somebody took the cropped picture, put that together, and it started finally, I guess, gaining traction and spreading like wildfire. So that was the response. Total War games are historically authentic, not historically accurate. I'll be honest, I don't necessarily know what that means. <laughs> Just is it trying to say that we try to be authentic, but it's not going to be accurate all the time? So it's it's authentic to the time period, but not historically accurate, like every person existed in that time, you know, I, okay, you know, that can make sense. So that seems to be, though, and, and, and I'd have to look because there are YouTubers out there that make videos specifically about this topic. So anytime that there's what they perceive to be like uh, reverse sexism or inverted sexism, they make videos about it. And, uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that was covered by YouTubers that sometimes get 50 to 100,000 views and then their fans of those videos go and review bomb the thing. So uh, I wanted to show you. So this is cool, actually. So Steam does uh, does show you, um, you know, like the statistics. So here we have January 2014. It was getting a lot of guff on December 1st for whatever reason. Had 1,100 positive and 400 negative. That was like their biggest shift. And then it just kind of fades into obscurity. It's, you know, on this day, it's 200 positive, 90 negative. 538 positive on November 1st was probably a steam sale or something that day. And then 66 negative. It's all good. I mean, you look at this, it's mostly positive. Like it's all most positive. And then look at this. Uh, look at this. On March, or uh, excuse me, on September 1st, 909 negative to 215 positive. And then when you, when you close in on it, or maybe that was just the end because it says there. But anyway, so you get to the end here. So this is two days ago. 182 negative to six positive, 33 positive to 410 negative yesterday, and then today 280 negative to 103 positive. So it's just getting destroyed over the last two or three days. So again, not quite sure what has brought that on, but you can show the all the negative ones here by most recent. So these are all from September 24th, as far as down as I can see. So uh, it's an authentic review, not an accurate one. So they're play on words with the uh, the reps uh, words very disappointed with CA's decision to shove diversity down my throat five years after this game's release uh, why force your political agenda on a game you released half a decade ago it just seems kind of like an overreaction to me you know um, I like historical accuracy not historical authenticity I'm like okay um, what really makes me mad about this too is let's see I'm just trying to see oh that's funny that's you know probably one of the heroes in the game so, um, 473 hours on record. This person has played this game 473 hours over the course of the last five years. And they want to say it's a bad game because of what they're doing now. I find that really silly and really ridiculous. Um, um, and then here's people trying to be funny. Um, a game immersed in rich and vibrant history should never be tampered with for the sake of making a Marxist political stance that is no place in this era of history just to please the media branch. This is a free market. Sure, as a private company, they have the right to do what they want with their game, but we as consumers also have the right to criticize and boycott the end product. It will never be a good move for a game developer company no matter their size. This person had 19 hours on record. Um, so this guy, this person had 52. They told me not to play their game, so I'll never buy another game from them. Um, uh, this person has 239 hours on record. I don't, I just, so I'm looking at all this stuff, uh, and it just seems like kind of an overreaction. Now I will admit 
I'm going to be the first to say this. I'm going to admit, I don't like this response. I, you know, I think it's more than fair to say the response total, total war games are historically authentic, but not historically accurate. But why? And, and so you could say, so from there, we wanted to add them into the game for what we felt was an interesting addition or to change how the game is played or something. But this part here, if having female units upsets you that much, you can either mod them out or just not play. I don't like that. That to me is kind of attacking the fans. Now, I, I agree with the point. If the fans are acting crazy, then like you shouldn't have to appease them, but they're still customers, you know? So like that just upsets people more. So I think you could handle this with like, you could handle this better, but you know, I don't think they had to. I just think you could have handled it better. Uh, and then here, you know, people saying they won't buy the game because there are too many women in it is fine with us. If that's their reason, we'd rather they didn't anyway. Again, you're like attacking them for having their complaints. Now, I'm a, I'm not going to assume that every complaint they got was very nice and neat and wrapped up in a little bow. And then everybody is supposed to just say, oh, see, they were just being nice about it. And you're being a jerk. I know that's not what's happening. They're saying ridiculous things. They're talking about how, like, they don't want to play the game because, like, you know, we, we just read a couple of the comments here, you know. Um, remove Ella from your company and I'll start buying your games again. 3.9 hours on record. So this person has played it for not even four hours. So, but this is the sort of thing, too. And so now they're, they're trying to get that person fired. And I think this is a lot different from the Jessica Price situation. So the Jessica Price situation I covered a while back, that was a little different because on her personal Twitter, she kind of went on this rant, which I don't think was justified by, you know, the person who was talking to her initially. And then she went on to say, you know, on Twitter, I don't have to be nice to you. I have to be nice to you on, you know, when I'm on my time, I don't have to pretend to like you. You know, that was more, I think what kind of, again, you know, similar where people were outraged by it, but that seemed like a much sharper, you know, barb as, a, as opposed to something like this, where it really was just them laying out their points. Again, I wouldn't have come out and said, if you don't like games with women in them, then we don't want you as a customer. Like that's a lot of the people that have an issue with this aren't necessarily having a problem with that. And I hate when they just lump everyone in together who has a problem with historical accuracy, um, because there have been some crazy things like the whole battlefield debacle where it was like, well, women we're on the battlefield. Like just stop, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't, I don't, and I don't, and there are a ton of people that take that argument too far, but there are people who have legitimate complaints too. So to just lump everybody in together, I don't like, I never like that broad generalization, uh, generalizations are the absolute worst thing you can do. Um, and, and this isn't nearly, I don't think as, as harsh as, like I said, what Jessica Price said, but there is a tinge of this, like, if you don't like what we do that you can get out and they're like, but these people already paid for your game. So I guess they feel like the only way they can retaliate is through review bombs. I also don't like this either. Like, I feel like this is something that we should be better than, you know? Um, it just, it, it bugs me a lot. You know, it, it bugs me that, that this is something you can do. It's the same thing when you, you trash a business that you don't like. And so you go to like their Facebook or Google page and then they just get like review bombed. It's like, if you've never been there and you've never experienced the store, I just really feel like that's not the right way to do it. And, and if you choose to boycott, I think that's a great idea. Uh, I do that often with certain companies that I don't want to support. So if you choose to boycott, there's nothing wrong with that. But boycott by never going to the store, by not telling people to go there, but you don't boycott them by making up a fake review and everything. Now, I will admit, like I said, the Steam reviews are a little different because these are people that seem to have paid for the game. And if you've paid for the game and you've been playing it, you can't really boycott the product that you already paid for. But you can make your, you know, you can make your upset attitude known 
by doing stuff like this. But I feel like most of the time something like this is a, is a focused effort where you have somebody who talks about it and then those people who watch that video and agree with it, then they all pounce. And, and that I don't like. I, I really wish we could see you know, a little bit more of like a mature discussion about it. Um, but that's something that CA has to be open to as well and, and, and everything. So, uh, and, and apparently they're able to, uh, and, and that's what, uh, so that's, let me see, um, where I think it was here. So there was, uh, okay. So then they, they talked about it. Uh, and, and there was actually one more reply, uh, quote, I'm not HR, nor is it my job to push a personal agenda. I convey the views of the company, which is where the statement regarding historical authenticity versus historical accuracy and the inclusion of women originates. So they're also trying to say that this person should get fired for you put in injecting their personal views. But this person saying they weren't my personal views. These are the views of the company that I'm supposed to spread to you. So I guess that's good that that person has backing, but it wasn't just some tirade. Like it wasn't a personal crusade of that person. This is like, as made by this statement, that is the state uh, the, that is the, of the company. That is the statement of the company, not just one person working there. Um, so then, uh, in a statement issued to Eurogamer, Creative Assembly confirmed that Total War Rome 2 is working as intended and even provided the percentage chances of women characters appearing in the game. This goes back to the first article we talked about with this picture with all the female generals. Um, quote, female characters appear throughout the game, but have between a 10 and 15% chance of appearing as recruitable generals for some of the playable factions. The exceptions are the Greek states, Rome, Carthage, and some Eastern faction, which have a 0% chance and Kush, which has a 50% chance. This is to broadly represent the cultural differences in those factions during the time the game is set. Um, quote, these percentages, these percentage chances are moddable by players. We've not seen a verifiable bug where this is shown to be different or not working as intended. We have no plans to patch this out or remove this feature from the game. Um, so first of all, you can mod it out. So if it is a really big deal, but it's also, they're saying 10 to 15% chance. So if someone was able to get all female generals, this has to, if this is not a Photoshop job, this has to be an incredibly impossible odds that someone just happened to get all of them. But, you know, and then again, it, it spread though. And, and it, it kind of got pushed to these, these, these kind of fringe sites that really want to kind of feed off of that, that hate and the negativity. And that sucks. And, uh, and I wish it wouldn't, but again, I wish we could not do review bombs, but I understand that for someone who's already bought the product, it's hard to boycott. I just wish they wouldn't do it that way. Like I wish they would change all their reviews, maybe to the wording, like get behind a message and say something like, you know, hear us or something. And then just make every review that you've done say that, and you know, go to the community forums, like have a valid legitimate argument because when you have a valid legitimate argument, you get drowned out by the people making ridiculous statements. And then your point, which can be valid, isn't heard. And and that's what you don't want. So you also have to stand up to the people who might agree with you and be like, look, man, you're not helping the cause we're trying to get something done, like be normal or get out of here. You know, like we don't need your kind of hatred and, 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 and like ridiculousness here. So, you know, again, well, we, I mean, that's me like wishful thinking on the internet. It's never going to happen, but it doesn't mean I can't hope for it. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a weird one, but, um, yeah, so that, uh, that's that, that's, uh, that is uh, total war Rome too. So if you've played the game and you like it, make sure you left it a good review. Cause it's getting just trashed. I mean, it's, it's over time is fine. You know, like, um, it's still mostly positive with 21,000 reviews over the last five years. So it's not like this is going to, you know, 280, 410. So it's not like, you know, 700 negative reviews are going to put a damper, 800 negative reviews going to put a damper on it. But 
you know, 800 out of 21,000, it's not, it's not great. You know, you'd rather have those be positive if, if that's what it is. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's actually a fun game too. If you like, you should check it out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right, let me get a little water here. I haven't done a podcast while I need to hydrate. <clears throat> wow. Mm. So, uh, and then lastly, let me bring it up here. So lastly, we want to talk about a kind of a feel-good story. I mentioned this in the intro of the podcast, um, and it is – let me close these out. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about the uh, – let's see here. I just want to get, I want to get the names right because I want to be respectful. So let me, let me back this up a little bit so I can get the screen right, and then I can uh, get this all figured out. And then I can also restart it for the, so you, you podcast listeners always get like the live take. So this is, this is me having to kind of reset for the YouTube audience, but thank you for always being understanding about putting up with my crap. <clears throat> and so lastly, what we want to talk about is, uh, a, a touching story and a sad story. Um, but a campaign began for a terminal cancer patient named Chris Taylor to get a chance to play Super Smash Brothers Ultimate and quote December is a long way away. So this is the story. This was on Nintendo Life. Chris Taylor loves video games and when Nintendo announced Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, he was just as pumped as everyone else, but with a catch. Taylor has terminal cancer and in July made the brave decision to decline any further treatment. He was given between three and six months to live. Taylor's comments on social media, which reflect the fact that he may not be alive when the game arrives this December, have triggered a wave of support from the Nintendo community, and now a campaign has begun to get Taylor, who is effectively bedridden, pre-release access to Smash. So he, he tweeted out things like, I'm really scared, I won't be able to play Ultimate. And he's scared for other reasons too. He's scared because he knows he's got no time left, you know? But it's also because if he loves games so much, like we hear about these games years in advance and knowing all these great games are coming out, I know I'd be very sad by that. If like, say they announce a new Metal Gear and, and I wouldn't be able to play it, like that would make me sad, you know? Um, and, uh, and he said, I know it's childish to despair over a video game, but Smash means a lot to me. And when Ultimate looks so good, it breaks my heart. Uh, sorry to be sad on main during hype time, but hearing about things like Smash and DMC5 is starting to become painful to listen. It reminds me I won't be able to play these games I've been waiting years for, uh, only for random chance to kill me slowly as they're announced. So he's he's just saying it's tough, and I, I agree with that. And that was back in September 13th. So it gained a lot of traction, though. A lot of people were, were really moving on this. And um, so, uh, the, uh, you know, it was retweeted here. Uh, a dear friend is bedridden with 